Today we continue our Healthy Hour series to provide our members with additional resources during this unprecedented time. It's really a unique time for everyone and we're grateful that you're joining us here today. My name is Melody Howard and I'm the Community Service, or excuse me, Community Alliances Director at Medic Alert Foundation and I'll be your host today. I've been with Medic Alert for over 30 years and during those years, I've worked in many different areas of the foundation, and it's truly the members and our mission that keep me going. Today, I'll be sharing some information about Medic Alert, information about Valley Mountain Regional Center, COVID-19 coping strategies for the autism community, Q&A with Claire Lazaro and Tara Sizemore-Hester from Valley Mountain Regional Center, then we'll wrap up the session by providing some useful resources for you. So here's a little bit about Medic Alert. Let me go back. Many of you here today already know about Medic Alert, but for those who don't, I'll give a brief background. Um, we are the original medical ID created in 1956. What's unique about Medic Alert is that we go beyond just an ID. Our IDs are backed by a 24-7 emergency response team who are standing by to relay your critical medical information to first responders. And Medic Alert is the only nonprofit organization in the medical ID space. All of our revenues fund our emergency services and help provide IDs and memberships to people in financial need. Our mission is to save and protect lives by sharing vital information in our members' moments of need. Here's how the service works. Your medical ID is engraved with the most vital health and identification information. In an emergency, first responders contact our 24-7 emergency response team to get your full health record. Your health record includes additional health data and emergency contacts, which we relay to emergency personnel. We've trained first responders to look for your medical alert ID, empowering them with vital information. Now, more than ever, given the current pandemic, it's so important for first responders to know about any existing conditions so that you can get the best possible care. Medic Alert is your voice when you need us most. Today, I'm delighted to introduce you to our very special guest, Claire Lazaro, Director of Clinical Services, and Tara Sizemore-Hester, Assistant Director of Clinical Services, from VMRC. Ms. Lazaro, Claire, is the parent of two wonderful unique children, both with autism, a boy 12 years old and a girl 11 years old. She is licensed and board certified nurse practitioner in the state of California. She has been the director of clinical services at Valley Mountain Regional Center for a year now. She has a master of science in nursing from Samuel Merritt University and a Bachelor of Science in Nursing from California State University Stanislaus, just down the street. Um, Claire is a licensed physician in Philippines. She holds an MD as a Doctor of Medicine and Surgery and a BS in Medical Technology, similar to Clinical Laboratory Scientist. She was actively involved as a VMRC board member for almost seven years. She currently volunteers at a local free mobile clinic. Now a little bit about Ms. Sizemore Hester. Tara is the Assistant Director of Clinical Services at Valley Mountain Regional Center. 
She's worked in the field of developmental services for over 30 years, including over 20 years coordinating services for children and adults with autism. Tara was involved in the development and implementation of the Early Autism Diagnostic Clinic at VMRC, and she provided oversight for VMRC autism intervention services, including early intensive ABA services. She also held the position of program manager at VMRC, where she supervised services for children, transition, and adult consumers. In addition to her work at the regional center, Tara has been on several state committees, including the Evidence-Based Autism Intervention Committee, Early Start Interagent Coordinating Council, the State Superintendent's Autism Advisory Committee, and the California Autism Professional Training and Information Network Committee, also known as CAPTAIN. Ladies, I'll turn it over to you to talk about Valley Mountain Regional Center. Hi, good, good afternoon to all of you. Thank you, MedicAlert, for inviting us and helping share information in the autism community. Valley Mountain Regional Center is a private, not-for-profit corporation that is operated by a volunteer board of directors under a contract with the state of California, uh, specifically the Department of Developmental Services. It is one of the 21 regional centers located throughout the state, so it is it is unique in California. We serve um, residents of the counties of Amador, Calaveras, San Joaquin, Stanislaus, and Tuolumne counties. VMRC also provides services to persons who have developmental disabilities. And the developmental disabilities have been defined by law to include intellectual disability, cerebral palsy, epilepsy, autism, and other conditions closely related to intellectual disability that require similar treatment. Um, under the California statute, this condition must originate before the age of 18 and be expected to continue indefinitely and constitute a substantial handicap. Great. Yeah, um, I will let Tara read our mission. Okay, great. So the mission of Valley Mountain Regional Center is to support people with developmental disabilities as they enrich their lives through choices and inclusion. VMRC is committed to securing quality individual services in collaboration with families and the community. Our vision is um, life with the power of choice and possibilities. And our, our mission and vision statements were put together um, by consumers, families, um, employees, and com community representatives. So we're very proud of it. Great, thank you so much. Um, thanks to everyone who submitted their questions ahead of time. We did have a lot of questions, so we'll definitely try to cover as many as possible, but I wanna apologize in advance that we may not be able to get to everyone's questions, but again, we'll tackle as many as we can. Um, let's go ahead and get started. We actually have, just so you know, the categories that we have questions in are coping with COVID, learning at home, lockdown challenges, and about autism. So this first question, um, what is the difference between autism and developmentally disabled? This was submitted by Leonard. Thank you, Leonard, for submitting that question. Um, to clarify, Autism is one of the developmental disabilities. So it is classified as a developmental disability. Um, 
there are other conditions that are included in that umbrella of developmental disabilities, some of which I've mentioned, cerebral palsy, um, intellectual disability, epilepsy. That is under the statute that the state of California has created um, that the regional centers abide with. Other states don't have regional centers. Um, so they may have, they may include other developmental disabilities based on the medical definition. But autism in itself is included in that um, umbrella of developmental disabilities. Thank you. In this category, coping with COVID, these questions were submitted by Heidi and Carol. Is my autistic child more prone to COVID-19? And do you have any data on how many people with autism and what age groups have been in infected with COVID-19? So the, uh, an individual or a child with autism, their risks to acquiring COVID-19 is similar to the risks of the general population. The only difference would be if the child has other medical conditions, that would make them prone to COVID-19. So the same way as the general population, if the child has asthma, respiratory diseases, heart disease, um, immunocompromised conditions, aside from having autism, then that would make them prone to COVID-19. But autism in itself, without the other medical conditions, would not make them prone to COVID-19. Um, and then with the data, I don't have a data on the whole population of autism. In our regional center, we do have data among our consumers. So we call our clients consumers. And so far we have three who have tested positive. We have almost 16,000 consumers. And out of that, we have three in our area among those five counties. Um, I know some of the other regional centers in the state are collecting data on that as well, and they are submitting it to the Department of Developmental Services. Another agency that I know collecting data specifically on people with developmental disabilities is AADMD, American Association of Developmental Medicine and Dentistry. I checked their website. They haven't published the data yet, but I know they are collecting the data on that. Thank you. This is also in the category of coping with COVID, submitted by Blanca. What are some coping strategies for children with autism during the pandemic? How much information should parents share and how should they share it? That, that is true. That's, that's a very good question, Blanca. Um, children with autism would have different coping mechanisms. And during this time, it is good let them know in simple terms on using the language that they can understand what is the situation right now, being honest with them so that they know what's really happening around them would create a better understanding for them and awareness on what's happening and how they can adjust. Some of the coping strategies could be listening to their favorite music, um, Coloring sometimes helps in um, releasing stress as well. Having a routine, having a schedule, trying to continue the things that, that they usually do is good. Um, 
during this pandemic. I know everybody is staying at home. So when, when they're at home, at least trying to continue the regular schedule that they do would help, at least in that normalcy. Um, Sarah, would you like to add on to that? I would, I would add to um, schedule frequent breaks so that, um, and we're doing that for ourselves, we're, we're, some days we might have seven to eight Zoom meetings. And so you have to, to step away, um, take a break, same thing with, with, with children with autism. They need to have, to be able to release some of the pent up energy that they have and, and some of the stress that they're, they're holding. So some things that I would suggest, um, if you have a trampoline, um, giving them breaks, let them go outside and jump in the trampoline, take brief walks, um, but really look at what um, kinds of things that, that your child likes to do and try to schedule those things into the breaks. That's true. With regards to the information, we have in our resources um, a link on a story that somebody created, and it's, it's from mindheart.co, um, and it's also in different languages. It's created by Manuela Molina. It's nice because it explains coronavirus to kids in a kid-friendly way, and it, it's, it looks like more of a cartoon way but then they get the information that they needed so they will understand what, what is happening around us. Thank you. This question submitted by Julie, how can I help my child with autism remember to do things that keep him safe from COVID-19, like hand washing, wearing a mask, and social distancing? Having um, a, well, not really a schedule, but a visual, um, well, you can call it a visual schedule, um, would help. Sometimes a reminder also for them, like if they have a timer, you can set reminders that it's time for them to wash their hands after um, eating, things like that. Really constant reminding as well. Um, social stories help us help too in letting them know that they have to do those things. Mask is tricky, wearing a mask, because it's uncomfortable, so not, I don't think a lot of them would like wearing a mask or would tolerate wearing a mask. Some kids can tolerate it up to a certain degree and then they need a break from it and they have to take it off for some time and then they can put it back again. And I, I would suggest also, um, most counties, the county I live in is um, just went off of sh uh, um, shelter in place, we're in stage two, but. Uh, most people are still um, in shelter in place and this is a good time to start practicing wearing a mask with your child even if it's just you know having them hold the mask for a short time having them tolerate putting it on you can take it right off and then and then um, um, they can lengthen that time you can work with them um, on that slowly so that that the first time they wear a mask should not be when they go um, out into the community they should start practicing at home. It would make it, it much easier. That's true. And also the social distancing is really more on physical distancing because they can still talk to neighbors when they go out for a walk. They just have to be physically six feet away. And it's hard for kids to know what is six feet. So if it's an adult, it could be two arms length. If they're little kids, they could maybe say, 
three arms length or double your double your shadow, something like that, um, to help them kind of like understand it. It's really more on being physically farther away from other people, but they can talk with them. They just have to speak louder because they're farther away. And Claire being with her medical background is working with this with our, our own um, employees. We have a skeleton crew that's on site right now at our offices and she's um, working in similar fashion um, with our employees who, who do not have autism. And so um, it's not just a challenge um, for, for people with autism, but for everyone. That, that's a good point. That's a good point, Tara. I keep on reminding them, you have to really remind them all the time that you have to do this, you have to wash your hands, disinfect surfaces. Yeah, it is, it is a constant reminder, that is true. Appreciate that, Tara. <laughs> the next set of questions submitted by Arlene and Lucy. Do adults with Asperger's syndrome have any issues comprehending what's happening? And how do we help adults with autism understand what's going on with the pandemic? My son has not been able to go to his adult daycare and he doesn't understand why. Yeah, um, so Asperger's syndrome is one of um, the older definitions that when they revised the DSM, Five, they created the DSM-5 and revised um, autism. They made it under the autism spectrum umbrella. So Asperger's in itself is classified as the higher spectrum, higher functioning, so they can understand better than the others that are in, a, in the lower functioning of the spectrum. Um, they have more communication skills, language skills. So that is very helpful um, with them. This type of um, information that you're showing right now would be helpful using plain language information would would help them understand what is COVID-19 um, that is spreading around us um, and then I was looking at the other question how do we help adults understand the pandemic so yeah it's the same thing this this type of resource would help them understand um, what is really happening in right now. Um, and really speaking to them in plain language, something that they can understand. Um, every person with autism um, is different. It's a, it's a spectrum. And if, if the comprehension is really basic, then go basic. And then in, and with, with um, everyone, speak in plain language, simple terms. Um, um, focus on things that they need to understand for them individually and not um, a comprehensive overview of, of, um, of COVID. Yeah, so this one also is saying adult daycare. So he's not understanding why he, ha he cannot go to the daycare. So when this happens, Repetition, explaining to them multiple times when they're, quest when they're asking questions, because it's good that when they're asking questions, it means they're interested to use that opportunity. It's a learning opportunity for that individual to learn. It would probably take more than two, three explanations. I know personally, my, my daughter um, has been asking me constantly, specifically during the first few weeks when we 
had to stay at home, why she has to stay at home and why there's no school. It, it's a repetition, repetition until it gets to a point that they will understand. Showing visuals help as well um, in understanding what it is. So that helps. And I think the repetition piece is, is valuable. Um, and again, I'm looking at, at, at not just people with autism, but our own employees, Claire um, is over our department and she um, has emphasized, you know, why we are staying home, re-explaining it um, um, and working with, with us. And same thing with, with um, um, people with autism. It's a, a big change in their routine. Yeah, it's hard because um, they, I know the person wanted to go to daycare, but they cannot go. So the mom has to explain at, that in daycare, they're close to each other. They, it's hard to do that six feet away from each other. They have to be closer and you don't know who one, who among them has the virus or not. And that's why we want them not to go there as of now because it's for their own protection. So explaining that to them, explaining to them that a person could possibly have the virus, but they don't know because they're not sick yet. But then even though they're not sick and they have the virus, they could still share the virus to other people. And this is something as of now that we don't want sharing. It, this is one of those things that we don't want others to share with. And that is one way of us preventing getting sick is not going to the daycare as of now. But then when it's, uh, when it comes to time that the government thinks that it'll, it's better for us to go back, they will let us know and we'll slowly go back. Thank you. Our next question comes from Stacy. How do you make it less scary for someone with autism if they have to go to the doctor or ER during this time? So during this time, a lot of primary care doctors are offering telemedicine. If they can avail for telemedicine, that is an excellent way for them not to go to the doctors. Um, as much as they can avoid, it's also for their own protection. Um, if they have a, what we call a health passport that parents or their support people can help them fill out, that would be helpful as well because then the doctor would be able to get to know them well and adjust as to how they can help these persons. Um, Yes, that's it, the My Health Passport, because they can fill out their, how they can communicate, are there things that could trigger or upset this individual so that could be avoided, those kinds of things. Um, the parents talking in advance to the healthcare provider as well, telling them that these are the things that my daughter or my son can tolerate, that helps a lot. I know personally with myself, we found a provider who was very patient with my, with my child because she was afraid of going to the doctor. So we started on her just being inside the lobby. That's how we started. And the doctor had to go out of the lobby just to say hi and introduce himself. And that's it. That was it. And from there, we had to go several times going back 
staying longer in the lobby. But of course, during this time, we're giving reinforcements so there's something that the child has to work for. So staying in the lobby longer and longer, and then after several visits doing that, going inside, just peeking inside, just stepping on the scale, and then going out, just really up to what they can tolerate. Um, it could be a tolerance um, activity as well for them if it is something that their child is really scared going. And it would need a lot of cooperation from the doctor's office as well to help to help them with that. I'm happy to say now my daughter goes there, they don't have any behavior at all, just sit down, goes to the, to the um, examining table, talks to the physician, but it does take a lot of work. Yeah, but it could be reached. Great, thank you. Also, just as a medical or benefit, we can provide information to your doctor's office if you're going to the either to the ER or to the doctor. So we're we're there and prepared to help in that case too. Um, I think that is an excellent um, feature that Medic Alert has because that um, would eliminate any barrier that could happen because the physician could already have the list of all the medical history. So if there's something that is forgotten, it's already there. They could. They have an access and they could read that. And then I would just add one, one item. If um, your child has a, a preferred object or, you know, a special toy or a, you know, if they are engaging in stress and have a squeeze ball, something that they can kind of um, divert their attention somewhere else when they're in this scary situation. Sometimes that helps. Great. That's true. This next request from Denise, um, this is regarding learning at home. Please share ways to create structure. My daughter misses the school schedule and I work from home, so it's difficult to homeschool. Denise, this is also what I am experiencing. <laughs> so thank you for asking that question because it is hard. It's hard to create a structure. So um, what I did personally is I have a schedule for my kids. Um, I based it on what the school gave because our school gave a guide schedule. So we kind of used that guide and customized it for them. Um, and I put it in a, I have an old board, so I just placed it. Oh, it, it cannot be shown. Sorry, I wanted to show it to you guys. But um, I placed it in an old cardboard. It has there what they're going to do. I started from what time they can wake up. So each child has a different wake up time. One of them wakes up early, one of them wakes up later. So I customize it for each one of them. What time they wake up, they eat, what are they gonna study? There's breaks in between, break time, and then back to study, break time, what they can do during those break times. And then they have a highly reinforcing activity that they can do when they're done with all of their schoolwork. And then including also up to what time is their bedtime. So having that schedule for them, and then for myself, I ended up doing my own visual schedule too that I post here beside my computer so I could see and remind myself, oh, it's time for me to eat lunch because I haven't eaten lunch, something like that, or it's time for me to break. If I needed a break, I could at least look it's time. Um, that helps in having that schedule. The key, I think, is to provide the structure even though home is typically not as you know not as structured as at school, is um, to to provide that structure and, and I think that the visual schedules whiteboards so 
you can um, erase on, let's say Tuesday's schedule is gonna be a little different. You can erase an item and put something else in there. Um, that's been very helpful. I know that some families I've talked to, they have their child, that they're working parents, they have their child's uh, visual schedule, and then they have their own whiteboard. And so they're kind of simultaneously um, working on their own schedule so that they also, the parent remembers, okay, I need to give you know, Sally a break now. It's two o'clock, it's time for her break. And then that's when mom schedules her break to walk away from, from the computer. So um, I think that has been just really key across the board. Yeah, and you can use timers too. Um, mm -hmm. I notice sometimes I forget to look at the clock. So I started setting up timers. So it reminds me that, hey, it's that time or alarm clocks if you want a specific time, not just a time frame. So that could be helpful as well. I do have a lot of alarms on my phone that helps me with that. <laughs> and then um, I was actually listening to Temple Grandine a while ago, and she was talking about this schedule too and how she's coping as an adult with autism. She was saying um, she's waking up it's as if she's going to work. So, and that's also what she's recommending. If you needed to dress up, take a shower, dress up as if you're going to work or as if you're going to school, do that so that you at least create that routine and that structure within yourself. That's a great example and not just for the children, but for all of us. It, 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 I think it creates more focus. Yeah. Thank you. So this question submitted by James and Kelly, um, I'm autistic, how do I keep myself focused on schoolwork when I'm not in a school environment? And how do you start a new routine? Okay, thank you, James and Kelly. Um, in my family, I have two kids with autism at 12 and an 11 year old. So I asked them actually, okay, we're gonna be doing schoolwork here at home. You're going to have to do your homeworks here. You're going to study here. Where do you want to do that? So I had them pick out a place in the home where they will, it's going to be their own spot. But they will study so they know when they needed to study, they're going to be there. They're going to, they're, all their work are going to be there. If they needed computer, it's going to be there. The same way with the, both of them. Each of them picked out their own spot. So that in itself kind of like gives them control that, oh, okay, I get to decide where I can study, at least giving them that control. Because in this pandemic, it seems like we don't have any control at all. We don't know when school is going, school all of a sudden is out. And then we have all these homeworks that it's, we don't know each school district has different way of doing their homework. So at least giving them that sense of control is a reassuring feeling for them. And then when we were doing the schedule, actually, um, I showed it to them and asked them, is this okay with you? Is this something that is doable for you? Um, and when he said it's okay, then we, we agreed there were some things that they said they would, they would like to adjust and then we adjusted it. Um, if it's okay, if it's nothing big, you, you can adjust it and come to a compromise so that they'll be able to, um, really study and focus on their work and at the same time still have the breaks that they need 
And then looking at starting a new routine, I would say um, start the day before. Look at, you know, what routine do you want to plan out for yourself? Um, make a list. Make it a visual schedule of what the routine is going to be. And, and starting a new routine may be incorporating um, one routine step or task at a time, not changing the entire day all at once, but maybe um, it's Monday, you're going to add um, taking a walk to your, your daily routine. You're going to, you know, remove something off of your schedule and add taking a walk. The next day, you're, you may add something else. I, I wouldn't suggest changing your entire routine in one day. Um, although we all, I guess we've all done that with um, shelter in place. It's been very difficult um, on a lot of us. I know that on everyone. I know that um, I saw something on Facebook that said um, um, it was three autistic children and it, there was a sign on top that said, so your routines have all changed overnight. You know, how does that feel for you? So. Yeah, that's true. Thank you. Also on um, learning at home, submitted by Joanne, what is the best way to approach online learning with children ages three to six with autism? Um, I wouldn't say it's the best way, but for me, I think finding what will work for your child. Um, my kids love to watch videos, so it works for them to watch online learning videos. Um, there are, if, if the kids, if her child three to six wants to watch videos as well, TBS has learning videos that they have for pre-K, pre-K, kindergarten, it's arranged as to what age level, and it also has, um, different subjects, English, math, um, social studies, science, so PBS learning is a good, um, way of doing that. In YouTube Kids, they have Mystery Dog, um, D-O-U-G, which is about science. It's one of those um, videos that are recommended by the school, our school district. Um, so those kinds of things. Um, arts and crafts, it's something that they, they can learn as well. Um, for online, um, Prodigy is another game for math. It's like a video game, but it's actually a math game. So, so those kinds of things. Great, thank you. The next question is submitted by Christine and Kristen. My nephew with autism is in the 10th grade and now struggling to study at home. How can I help him? And also my 14 year old son with autism refuses to do his work as home learning. He doesn't mind any consequences placed on him. What can I do? Do you want me yeah. to take this or go ahead? <laughs> yeah, sure. You can, you can start. Okay. <laughs> um, for the nephew, I would say um, structuring the, the day, you know, we all look at, at how we're structuring our work environment, um, setting aside a place in the home where there's, uh, very little distractions, possibly headphones will help so that there's not external stimuli coming in that is, is disturbing the child. Um, again, I, we keep talking about visual schedules and I just think that of everything we've looked at uh, with this shelter in place, that has been the most valuable tool. 
So setting up some kind of a, a visual schedule. Um, and then for the 14 year old who's refusing to do um, at home learning, um, I would look at it a different way. And rather than looking at consequences um, for, for not doing the homework, I would um, set up, look at what the most desirable, desirable object or toy or game, whatever it is, um, um, event, if it's a bike ride outside, what is the most um, desirable to that, that, that um, um, individual? And then um, give a reward at the end of, not just the end of the day for, for at-home learning, but you, know, you might have um, break it up and, and every 45 minutes for the, the, the son being on task, depending on, on the individual, it could be every 10 minutes give them something that, that um, is rewarding and then give them a big reward at the end of the day. Something, if it's an iPad, don't you know, allow them, if that's their most desirable object is, is doing things with the iPad, um, wait until um, the end of the day and um, don't give it to them just in all other um, environments. Make sure that that particular um, reward is only given for completion of homework. Yes, consistency is the key on this, on this one. Being consistent, the parent being consistent and following through on the child finishing what they needed to do before they get the reward. Thank you. Um, now we have a category of lockdown challenges. This question was submitted by Nancy. How can we keep the stress level down in quarantine so that we can all continue to get along and support each other? Sometimes it's impossible. Yeah, that's true. It's important for us to first identify what level of stress are we experiencing. Are you in the too much stress up to the 10 level already, if that's the maximum, or are you at the 5 right now? We want to make sure that when we identify that we're beginning to be stressed out, we don't want to reach 10 before we do an intervention. We want to do an intervention early on maybe when you're feeling in the five, like this one, using zones of regulation for our kids or even adults with autism or even without autism, really identifying, are you in the blue zone? Are you in the green? Are you in the yellow? You don't want to get into the red zone. You want to always be in the green. And then doing intervention when you are in the yellow before you go to red. Mindfulness. Um, deep breathing, meditation, reading a book, walking, exercise, those kinds of things could help release stress and, and relax you. Things that helps you relax, list, relax. listening to music. Um, some people and, like to draw or color, those kinds of things. And exercise is um, um, considered an evidence-based intervention. And um, now music therapy now has research to support in music, um, to support um, um, that as a, an actual intervention. So, and it's in these times where you have stress that those, those kinds of interventions are helpful. And I, I even know for myself and in talking to my friend who has a, a nine-year-old son with autism, getting out, running, walking, whatever it is, um, it just, it feeds your soul and again, as um, evidence-based. Yeah, that's true. Um, some people like to, the aromatherapy, that's another thing that they can use too. Yeah. 
Great, thank you. This was submitted by Heather. We are a close family and it's hard that we can't visit my son in person since he lives in a group home. What can we do? Yeah, I, I, I hear you, Heather. It's really hard. Um, video chat is one thing that we are recommending right now, communication remotely, um, either through telephone, video chat, using either FaceTime, um, Messenger, video call, Skype, those kinds of things help. Um, sometimes other people really want to see their child personally, face-to-face. -face. The most that they could do really is if they want to visit, they could stay at the front porch and be six feet away, but still have that physical distancing. They can talk while they are farther away like that. So they, they are still able to communicate and, and have some bonding activity, but they're going to be farther away um, and using those video or remote communications. We've had families that have had the drive-by birthday party for, for their son or daughter that is living in a, a, a residential facility. Um, I've seen videotapes of some of these and yeah. um, um, those kinds of things are really the, um, the, 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 it might be a young adult, but a son, the son or daughter, and also um, it helps the families. But one thing our consumers have really gotten a lot out of right now is even we have a lot of them doing Zoom meetings where they're able to also not just interact with their family, but their friends. And so that's also an, another important um, thing to look at. Great, thank you. This question was submitted by Jesse. I'm a 67 year old male with autism, a heart problem and diabetes. I can't take this for very much longer. What do I do? This is a good question. This is an example of him recognizing which zone of regulation he is. It looks like he's already on the yellow part and he's asking for help. Um, unfortunately, he has all the high risk criteria, age, heart problem, diabetes. So those are, those would make him vulnerable. Um, he could go out and walk if he really cannot stay at home um, as much as he can, but make sure that when he goes out, he is physically distancing himself from other people and avoid touching his face and washing his hands or having a hand sanitizer so that he can sterilize, um, disinfect his hands when, when he's out there. Unfortunately, as of this time, we are, most, most areas are still stay at home. So finding some things to do Hobbies, learning a new hobby would be a good thing um, to help him busy, keeping yourself busy at home. Um, aside from learning a new hobby, gardening, he could do that. Finding some things to, to keep himself busy. Um, reading a book, watching videos, those kinds of things. Thank you. 
These questions were submitted by Hattie and Delisma. What suggestions do you have for eventually returning to a normal schedule of work or school now that my child has become content staying home? And my son finds this stay home learning very enjoyable, no strict rules or time limits. I'm worried he may not want to go back to school. Yes, that's true. Um, I'm hearing that also with one of my children here wanting to just have uh, school from home even next year, the whole year. So <laughs> I've been telling them, I've been honest, and I think that helps. Being honest that this is something that is not permanent. This would go away. This, this I, and I think you heard her. She, <laughs> it will go away. It's not. It's not permanent. Um, but then at the same time, starting a structure so that slowly when you go back to school, it's not. A, it's not too hard to adjust because there has been some some adjustments and transition that has happened. Um, in between, yeah, um, constantly reminding them that this is not permanent. These questions are related to autism. Um, this question was submitted by Antonio. My daughter is four and has autism. She's learning a lot right now, but a doctor said that at eight or nine, she could forget things she's learned. Is this true? I haven't heard of. Um, totally forgetting. This doctor could possibly be discussing or talking about regression, um, but not totally forgetting. So, so there's, that's, that's, um, there's some difference there because regression is the skills that you have had, that you have learned before when you were not able to practice it as often as you were doing before, you forget. So that's, that's what happens. You forget it if you are not able to practice those skills, learn skills as often as you have learned before. And that, that is a concern, I think, for all families who have, especially there is um, research to support that there can be regression when um, a skill is not practiced by an, an autistic child, depending on the individual child. And so, um, um, that is something to keep in mind. That's why it's, it's a good idea, even in summer breaks, um, past extended school year to have um, some kind of um, practice, you know, get, get um, some workbooks from the teacher, things that the child can do when they're on any kind of a break. And so that's, that's something I think the experts are looking at, are gonna be looking at um, for all children um, um, that are on, that are, autistic when this is all over is really trying to determine has there been regression. You can go for months and, and there is no, no regression, but I think that the best way to um, 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 delay that or hold off from regression is to practice the skill, especially if there's certain things that you're noticing that your, your, your child um, is learning or forgetting. Um, it sounds like they're making a lot of progress right now. And so that's really, I think, prognostically a good sign. Yeah. Um, I saw a question in the chat about question number 13. Um, I'd like to address if somebody is trying to reach out for more mental health, there are a lot of um, websites right now and phone numbers that you can call. Um, I'm going to... 
I know um, Melody are, is going to be sending you guys resources, and we're going to add resources on how to reach out for mental health um, support and help. Thank you, Claire. The next question also about autism submitted by Muriel. My great grandson is 10 and nonverbal. What are his chances of speaking or communicating? So speaking, I just wanted to clarify, speaking would be different from communicating. Speaking would be the, your verbal ability to talk while communicating would involve other areas of communication, which is your facial expression, your nonverbal language, which I am using right now, my gestures, um, or picture exchange communication, having those small icons of pictures, that's another way of communicating, um, using aug augmentative com communication devices. I am not sure, honestly, if he would be able to speak at 10 years old. But I do know, I, I've heard of a story, Carly Fleischman is, right now she's a young adult, a Canadian female with autism who was nonverbal until she was nine years old and parents thought she would never communicate at all, but they didn't stop. They didn't stop having her aid and having um, intervention at home until one day she started typing and she started typing to communicate. And from then on, they learned she can communicate. She, she can understand us. She is understanding what we have been telling her and what we've been doing. And she just didn't know how to express herself before, but then they learned that she can. So there's, there's hope. I don't know how long it could take though, but even if it's not verbally, there are other ways of communicating that that we yeah, can I, I think that, that what Claire is focusing on, the communication piece, that's the important piece. Um, there are some, some children that can talk, but they can't get the communication across um, well, and so that the receiver isn't understanding what they're saying. Um, but I would also um, encourage the parent of this um, grandchild or whoever, if the grand, grandmother may, have, um, may be the caregiver, but to... Um, have this conversation with a speech and language um, pathologist that's um, assessed the child or that has worked with the child. Thank you. This question submitted by Angela, how can I help a newly diagnosed 19-year-old male who was deemed smart but lazy through school? I think we needed to, Angela would needed to see if this 19 year old is really lazy or is the laziness a manifestation of another thing the 19 year old could be bored at what he is doing that's why he's manifesting it as laziness or is it something that he's not understanding what is being taught in school because he has a different way of learning that does not match the way um, instructions are given in school some people could be a kinesthetic learner, visual learner, auditory learner. So finding the reason behind the laziness could probably help address and, and support this 19-year-old. And, and a lot of times um, people who have autism are more, aren't necessarily um, 
interested in, in, in what's important to you, but what's important to them. And so what motivation do they have to um, complete a task at school? You know, is it something that's functional? Do they see use in it? Those kinds of things really need to be addressed. That is true. That is true. That's why reinforcers are helpful because if they are working for something that is highly desirable, they will at least give attention to what they needed to accomplish in school, then get the reward of that highly desirable item. We're running close to being out of time. Um, just wanna wrap up with the last question, also about autism, um, submitted by Karen. How many autistic children would possibly tolerate wearing a medical ID bracelet? There are other kids who tolerate having a medical ID bracelet or even just bracelets per se, because like my daughter, she loves bracelets and other trinkets. Um, but if, for example, somebody wants a medic alert ID and cannot tolerate the bracelet, I know medic alert has other forms um, that you can wear. They have a necklace, they have um, something you can attach to the shoelace. There are other forms that you can do to at least still have um, medic alert um, within you. Right, Melody? Yes, absolutely. Lots of options. Yes. Great, thank you. Um, that does wrap up our questions for today. I wanna thank you, Claire and Tara, so much for being our guests today. The information you shared was very insightful and we definitely appreciate your time. Um, so here's some resources. Um, Claire or Tara, do you wanna talk about these? Sure, um, so the coronavirus updates in VMRC would give you some information um, specifically for the state of California and our regional center and other information as well with, that is related to coronavirus. The SEDD has a lot of um, plain language information about coronavirus that would help um, adults and children with developmental disabilities. The zones of regulation is the one that I have shown you a while ago that have that blue, green, yellow, and red. Um, my Health Passport, this one is the one that either family members or support people can help fill out. They can bring this to the hospital, the doctor's offices, um, to get to know better the individual and how they can help them. This, the last three, the Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund, AADMD, and the All Facilities Letter from the State of California, these are all addressing the visitation guidelines right now. Most hospitals have created a no visitor policy during this pandemic, and it is affecting people, especially those with developmental disabilities that need support person when they are in the doctor or when they are in the ER trying to explain what medications they have, what are their medical history, um, and without that person, it's gonna be hard for them to communicate to the healthcare provider what they are experiencing and what they have. So these letters are telling the hospitals and other um, facilities, healthcare facilities, that they can accommodate having another person with the person with developmental disability to support them during that time. That, that is what it is. The one from California is specifically uh, 
from the California Department of Public Health, so that's nice. I'm Captain Tara and I are both captain members, and Tara is part of the captain leadership. So I'll, I'll let Tara explain captain. So captain, it's, it's California Autism Professional Training and Information Network, and it is vast resources for families. There's specific modules on their video modules that families could go in and access and to work with their children. Um, there's a link there. I think we're gonna also um, be able to share some of these links with the participants. Um, but if you wanna, if you even go online and type in Captain Autism, you'll pull up the link. So um, um, I can't say enough about that. That's um, all, Captain talks all about um, um, evidence-based um, um, interventions, evidence-based resources. And again, there's very many um, parent-focused interventions or, or child-focused that families can do um, with their children. And with and in young adults, there's, there's um, um, options in there for that too. Great. Yeah. And then, oh, and UC then UC Davis is one from that has a lot of um, evidence-based resources as well and research for autism. And you can and go on. Go ahead. You can, okay. You can go on the UC Davis um, um, page and they have distinguished lecture series and you can go in there. They have five years worth of distinguished le lecture series where you can go on and listen to Experts in the field of autism talk about everything, um, anything that, any question you could ever have. Yes. And then the next slide was showing COVID book. Yeah. So this is the one that I was telling a while ago that has, it's sort of like a cartoon based book and it's available in different languages. So that's awesome. That explains what is COVID-19 and what do the kids have to do in order to protect themselves explains about hand washing and, and physical distancing um, this coping with stress is another another information on different languages it, it gives you information in, about how to cope with with what we are having right now um, and then this video on autism teaching waiting skill is kind of like what Tara and I have been telling you is having a reinforcer and then having the child wait. So it's, it's a nice short video clip for parents. Great, thank you. So just a reminder, um, please visit our Coronavirus Resource Center, which has some really great information from trusted sources. If you enjoyed today's discussion, um, please feel free to also view our past Healthy Hour recordings in that same area as well. And then also we are going to be having a, uh, another healthy hour in the next couple of weeks on Wednesday, May 27th will be diabetes and COVID-19. And our special guest uh, for that event is Dr. Ricardo Perfetti from Applied Therapeutics. Um, our registration is actually now open for that. So if you're interested, please feel free to register for that. Also, we'd love to hear your feedback on um, today's event. And so um, if you don't mind answering a one question survey, we'd appreciate your feedback on that. And as a reminder, please don't forget to update your medical alert record. It's so important, again, for this information to be up to date in case anything happens in an emergency because that's the information that we provide on your behalf.
thank you so much for joining today. Um, appreciate your feedback. Take care and stay safe. Bye all. Bye-bye.